this morning I'm calling us to courage. Okay, this morning I'm calling us to courage in the Lord. Last week we talked about trusting in the Lord. And I, I crawled over the pulpit to convince you and myself, all of us together, that the Lord is trustworthy. He is an Ezer. He is a helper. And he is a shield to those who trust him. He is determined to be that thing in our lives where if he does not show up, everything falls apart. But he wants to show up and take death to life and failure to success and calamity to triumph and prove that he is no idol but the actual God. That is his mission in your life. And that means your life is going to be a great story with lots of troubles and lots of conflicts and lots of personal failures and having to fix our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face so the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so today I'm, I'm coupling that message with a call to courage. We are going to need to have courage to do what God wants us to do as individuals, but together as a church family. And God's plan for us as we do this stuff is that we would grow together as a church family. And that we would unite together around Christ as we say yes to his calling for us. So let's read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 9, then we'll pray. These are the very words of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, I thank you so much for your precious word. Lord, I thank you that you have been doing this for thousands of years, leading your people into your plans. And Father, your call has pretty much been the same to every generation. Trust me and have courage while you obey. And so, Father, this call is upon us this morning as well. And I, I pray for myself. God, you know I, I am a naturally timid and timorous person. Uh, but I want you to show your grace and power and greatness through me. God, I, I want to be a stone in David's sling. Uh, dense, relatively useless, but able to accomplish a lot in the hands of the right person. And Father, I am in Jesus' hand. And so God, would you together just use this nothing church from nowhere for your great purposes as you have been doing for thousands of years for your son's glory. 
So I surrender to you, and I pray that every heart and every mind would be impacted by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just start off by by trying to answer the question, is this story for us? Because uh, I think a cynical person who's been around the church for a while could be like, yep, saw this one coming, church building stuff, Joshua story, lined up. Is that like what they teach everybody at seminary? Uh, you know, this is what you do. When it's time for church building or you need to ask for money, start talking about Joshua. And uh, so I just want to answer the cynical heart. I know there are no cynical people here. But why don't we just pretend, just as a, as a little brain exercise, let's pretend there's a cynical person that thinks this isn't really for us. This is about Joshua. He was leading a military movement of Israel into the promised land. But we're Christians, and many of us are pacifists. And so prove it. To which I reply, don't mind if I do. 1 Corinthians 10.1. The Apostle Paul is wrestling with a church of Christians, Gentiles in Corinth, uh, and their struggle with idolatry and kind of wanting to um, have low-grade idolatry, the kind that they hope doesn't bug the Lord, you know, just the occasional uh, spiritual booty, booty call. And Paul is confronting them on this and wanting to get them to be totally faithful to the Lord in their purpose in life. And he writes to them in chapter 10, starting verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And he goes on to say that what happened previously was written for our sake, okay? So this is how Paul reads the stories of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. He says to New Testament believers, these stories were written down for your sake so that you would not fall into the same uh, temptations and idolatries that they fell into. And it's interesting because he says to a bunch of Greeks and Romans, our fathers came out of Israel and had these issues in the desert. Not the Jewish fathers and not the Israelite fathers. So if you're Jewish, your, your parents had this issue. But us as Christians, this is our family history. And so when we read about Joshua, this is our family history, a story written so that we would have good success like Joshua did and not fall into the failures that Joshua did. This is, this is for us. But to even sharpen the point a little bit more, in Hebrews chapter 13... The author of Hebrews is encouraging his people to not turn away from Christ, but to continue in faith to them. And he writes this. He says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, meaning God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now what's interesting about this is I went and I searched the scriptures. And if my English translation is accurate, there is only one place in the Bible where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's in Joshua. God's talking to Joshua 
And the author of Hebrews takes that promise that God gives to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. Sometimes people say God will never leave you or forsake you. But the actual God speaking to someone saying, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, is only ever promised to Joshua. And here is the author of Hebrews saying, every Christian who reads my book, who I'm writing to, and every Christian that will read this book afterwards, this promise is also for you. The same promise that God gave to Joshua when Joshua was facing his battle, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now you, every Christian, as you're looking at your pocketbook and thinking, I don't have enough money to follow the Lord, or whatever it is, you need to hear the promise for yourself. God will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, like Joshua, you can say, the Lord is my helper. What? Hold on. Did somebody preach about God being a helper recently? The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, so this is what I'm saying. That line from Joshua chapter 1 where God says to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you is for every Christian now. Because we're actually in a better place than Joshua. If Joshua had the choice of being back there invading the land or being a New Testament believer, he would have chosen to be a New Testament. You mean I get to have the Holy Spirit living inside of me? I get to be one with the living Christ? I get to be covered with his blood? I get to know what the cross was going to... I get to know all these mysteries that God was going to accomplish through Jesus Christ and that the angels long to look into? I get to be on the other side of the resurrection? I would rather do that. So you're actually better off than Joshua. Amen? So this is what I'm saying. This call to courage based on the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us is for us today. And our job is to look through Scripture and try not to make the same mistakes that they made back then, which was to look at a challenge and run. That's, that was the problem. That's why Moses wasn't leading them into the promised land because the spies came back, you might remember, and they said, man, the grapes in that land are giants. But so are the people. Let's go back to Egypt. Man, the amount of worship space in that building is giant. But so is the rent. Let's just stay here. Is that that too, too close to home? So we're going to be facing some challenges, and I want to look at these challenges under two headings. We're going to need to face serpents, and we're going to need to face giants. Serpents and giants. And even, even if this all falls apart, uh, and I get run over by a bus, and you never have to endure one of my messages ever again, guess what? You're going to still have to face serpents in your life, and you're still going to have to face giants in your life. So even if this, whatever, this is, this, this is everybody all the time. What does a serpent do? Well, based on the story from the Garden of Eden, the serpent, who is a manifestation of Satan one way or another, his main job is to get you to not believe in the word of God. That is the main job of Satan. That's all he wants to do is get you into a place of not believing in the promises of God so that you'll either be defeated by him or you'll rebel against God and then God will have to deal with you. Satan doesn't want to deal with us directly. He doesn't actually, his big plan isn't just to like make us sick or lie to us. He, what he wants to do is get us into a place of unbelief so that God has to come and treat us as rebellious children instead of obedient children. Amen? Satan didn't kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. God did. Because he got them to not believe in his word. 
And here is Joshua in a very similar situation. He has a job to do. He has a fight to fight. And God tells him very clearly, Joshua, whatever you do, hold on to my word. This book of Moses that he wrote down, which is like Deuteronomy, shall not depart from you. You shall not turn to the right or to the left. Nowadays we talk about the Bible being inerrant. Nowadays we talk about the Bible being infallible. They didn't use those words back then. What they said was, you believe the whole thing, and you don't turn to the right thinking you're smarter than the Bible, or you don't turn to the left thinking you're the one person in the universe it doesn't apply to. You hold on to the whole thing. And then he tells Joshua, don't just read it once and think you got it. This book you will meditate on day and night so that you will have good success. And so when we hear this, we should be, if we're, if we're thoughtful Bible readers, and, and you know, there we go, um, we should be hearing again, Joshua's a new Adam. And his life and his death all depend on whether or not he's going to believe the promises of God, just like Adam did and didn't and died. Same, same deal. Will you believe the word of God? Will you hold fast to the promises of God? And God's standing right there saying, be strong and courageous. Haven't I commanded you? Haven't I commanded? Haven't this is not just your good idea? I have commanded you personally to go and promised I will be with you. Will you trust? Will you have strength and courage based on what you read in my word and my presence with you? That's the first fight. And the serpent wants to to rob of that. The, the serpent wants to say, you don't need to read it. The serpent says, you don't need to believe it. The serpent says, you don't need to obey it. Do you have any idea how busy you are? You, you wake up, you got to get to work. You don't have time to meditate. You know, you, know, you come home, it's dinner time, you got to cook something and then, it's up late, and then you got to catch up on your Facebook, and then Instasham, you got to, and then Regretflix. There's all this stuff on Regretflix you got to go check out. You don't have time. The serpent says, You don't got time. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You don't have to believe. You don't have to obey. It'll be fine. And then when you start not doing that, the enemy starts coming. You're not a very good Christian. How could God be with you? You don't even read his word. You don't even believe his word. You haven't been in a long time. What's wrong? Why even start? You know, you're going to just, you're going to do it today and then you're going to forget tomorrow. Why do it today? Why Just get, get back there on fake book and just, just spend your time on Insta Slam and just, you, just, just, you just need some brain dead time. You just need some brain dead time. Brain dead time won't lead to soul dead time. Brain dead time won't lead to spiritual dead time. Brain dead time won't lead to relational dead time. And whatever happens, I promise you there's no pornography on there, says the serpent. This, I, I, hate, I hate Satan so much. He is so evil. And he hates each one of you. He would torturously murder you for hours if you got the opportunity. He hates you. And the most hateful thing he wants to do for you is rob you 
of faith-filled believing the word of God. Will will you hear it? Okay. Say, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Okay, so there was this guy. His name was Joshua from the New Testament. We call his name Jesus, but that was his name was Joshua. And when it was his job to invade the promised land, there he is at the Jordan River. He's about to pass through. He's going to get baptized. It's not going to get dry. He's going to get baptized. He's going to pass through the Jordan River on his invasion of the promised land. And the very first thing that happens with him is that he's led out to the desert to fight Satan. And what does he do? He quotes Deuteronomy at the devil until he runs away because he was the kind of person that meditated on God's law day and night. He's the true Joshua who did not let the book of the law depart from his mouth. This is our God, okay? We get together and we say, Jesus, we worship you as God. Okay, our God meditated on God's word day and night and defeated Satan by having it hidden in his heart so that it would come out in the fight. So I have a call for you, and this is drop-dead serious, like drop-dead serious. I'm calling each person here to be in the Bible every single day. Every single day. Just do what you got to do every single day in his word. Do what you got to do. Rob, I get in there and I don't enjoy it. It's not meant to be entertainment. It's not a Hollywood movie. It is the word of the living God. And even if it didn't entertain us, we're still meant to know it and obey it. But over time, it can become the best part of your day, the most intimate time with the Lord, that you find that as he buries some treasures of his word into heart, they come out in changed character and hope throughout the day. It can happen, but please do not treat it like entertainment, bad entertainment. That's the thing, right? I didn't feel very entertained when I was reading Leviticus. We all poor Leviticus. People kick Leviticus when it's down. Now, Jesus said that the second most important commandment is in Leviticus. And why don't you read it and find it? And uh, But I, I am literally calling you today because you need to have courage in the Lord to do what God says gives you courage, to be in his word daily, day and night. With, with the purpose to meet God and then to not turn away from his Lord, from his word. Like every day. Like it's more important than food. You, you can have a great breakfast and sin your brains out. You can have bacon and eggs and then fight with your wife. Amen? But God's word will help with that. So I'm just, it's simple application. Like Nike style this. Just do it. Like just put a swoosh on your Bible and just get in there every day. If you're not in your Bible, it is literally a work of Satan in your life. Is that too sharp? And so this isn't a guilt trip. I'm just telling you, you want to be courageous, you need the courage to face your, your life and our life together. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous and be in my word. Okay, giants. The reason Joshua was leading the people into the promised land and not Moses was because the people saw the giants and they didn't want to face them. Amen? 
So here's Joshua, and it's now his job to lead the people of God into facing the giants. And these giants are just, they were physical beings, but for us, they're more of a symbolic being of an impossible circumstance or a controlling fear. That's what giants do, right? I know there was a big friendly giant, and and that's wonderful, but the whole story works of the big friendly giant because we all know that giants are not friendly. That's the whole point. They ba- they're big, they kick you around, they threaten you, they intimidate you, they pick you up and ragdoll you all over the place. That's what giants do. They, they intimidate, they spread fear, they threaten, and they try to kill you if you don't do what they want. And so here is Joshua to lead the people into the promised land, and this is why God has to keep telling Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It's because ev- the people in the land are bigger than them. It's not like God is saying, Joshua, I want you to go into the ring. It's uh, midget wrestling. So they're quick, but they're also only two feet tall. You got the the advantage here. They have the disadvantage. And we have the disadvantage. Whatever's going on, I can pretty much assure you, wherever I'm involved in something, we have the disadvantage. That's a bit of a joke, but you can just let that slide too. But giants are for us seemingly impossible circumstances or controlling fears. And uh, between now and us laying hold of the next plan or completing the vision that God has for us, everybody here is going to get intimidated. Everybody here is going to have a chance to feel like the bottom's falling out. Everybody's going to have a chance to yell at the leaders, stop doing this, you're ruining everything. Everyone's going to have a chance to do this. Because there are giants that don't want us to take their land. And if they can use fear and intimidation to control us and to keep us out, they will. And so there are some major giants for us to face. And so I'm going to name three of them. Uh, The first giant that we're going to have to face is uh, the giant of nice. Okay? This fear of man, controlled by what you think people think about you, commitment that if you actually love the Lord, you need to be nice to everybody, giant. It's not true. We, ha- we have to love people and love our enemies well. But we, we actually don't have to care what everybody thinks. Our job is to please the Lord. So there's this great story a few chapters later in Joshua. They go over the, um, the Jordan, and in a stunningly brilliant military tactic, once they're over the Jordan and they don't have a river separating them from their enemies that want to kill them, God decides now is the time to tell all the grown-ups, all the fighting men, all the soldiers that they need to get circumcised. Which, if you're a guy, you know right now, with, with the scabbing and all that stuff, does not lead you to being able to do acts of agility. True story, it's in the Bible. So they go into the promised land, and then it's like weakness, vulnerability, we could all die now time. And they get through that, and then they're about to head into the first battle, and Joshua meets, he sees a man standing there with a sword, and he goes up and talks to him, and this is Joshua 5.13. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, which was going to be their first battle, he looked up, 
and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you a friend or a foe? So are you against us or against our enemies? Are you for us or for our enemies? And this person replied, Neither one. He said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell down his face to the ground and did reverence and said, I am at your command. And Joshua said, What do you want me to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua did as he told. And among other things, what's going on here is here's Joshua going, I've got a mission, I've got a plan, we're going to go get our promised land. This is about us, we're going to do it, this is awesome, we got the strength, we got the might, we got the God. And he meets the commander of the Lord's armies, and he says, okay, so are you for us or for enemies? And the commander says, neither. The question is, are you for the Lord or not for the Lord? Because this is about the Lord. This isn't about people, it's not about us, it's not about them, it's not about city council, it's not about SEU, it's not about youth, it's not about children, it's not about old people, it's not about young people, it's not about the sick, it's not about the lost, it's not about the saved. It's about the Lord. And the question is, are you for the Lord? And for many of us in the West, this is like the last question we ask whenever a problem comes up. How, could, how is this just about the Lord and not people-pleasing or people-fearing or manipulation? How is this just about the Lord? It's about the Lord. And so in my head, I'm, 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 I'm training myself already. We are not moving to a new building to have better worship. We're moving to a new building to obey the Lord. And if better worship comes out, praise God. We're actually not going to a new building to see people get saved. We're going to a new building to please the Lord. And the Lord loves unbelievers, and he's going to get people saved. We're not going to the new building for the sake of the children. We're going to the new building to please the Lord. And he loves children. And so he's going to do something for their good. But this is the difference between heaven and hell. Because our culture is full of everybody trying to make things better with the riots and the throwing and the spray cans and the the accusations and attempted murders. Everyone's just trying to make the world a better place. Who is just standing there saying, I am for the Lord? And I will obey. So we're going to have to fight that giant that wants to make it all about people, whether afraid or pleasing them. No, it's about the Lord. Um, we're going to have to face the giant of uh, offense and bitterness. There's this running gag that um, every time a church tries to renovate, they have a church split over the color of the carpet. And it makes sense because that's what we do, right? We all love Jesus until it's time to paint the walls. And then, obviously, you're a terrible person and I can't worship with you anymore because Dusty Rose is so coming back. (laughs) Anybody? Somebody? Nobody? Right? personal offense and bitterness is the unsung story of Calvary Chapel. It blows up all the time. It's just part of the West. We're, we're used to, we just, wherever situation we're in, we want to know how we're the victim and how somebody else has wronged us so that we can be justified in wronging them back. It's kind of how we do life. And it's just this giant. It's just this giant that says, you don't need to do what God says because you're the victim. You have every right to be offended. You have every right to be bitter. 
And it's this, it's this thing that wants to control us as individuals and as a church. Wouldn't Satan just love it if we had this big church split on our way over there? And for some of us, we're really going to have to face this giant. We have no right in Christ to un- not forgive people. We have no right in Christ to disobey the word of God and to stay offended at people. We have no right in Christ to be bitter, period. Says the man who was tortured and crucified to save us from our sin when justice demanded that he should have sent us to hell. We have no right. The giant wants to control you and say, if you don't stay bitter, you're going to get hurt. If you don't stay offended, someone's going to manipulate you. If you don't stay, you can't, God can't, God can't, God can't. No, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I'm calling everybody here this morning to have courage. To have courage and face your bitterness. Have courage and face your offense. Have courage and face your unforgiveness and fight and win. This is for your life. This is for your soul. This is for your fruitfulness for the rest of your life. Fight and win. The God of heaven, the Lord of battles, the leader of the Lord's armies is standing before you saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Fight and win. Fight and have courage. Fight and be strengthened by the living word of God in your hand and in your mind and in your mouth. Fight and win. Have courage. Whatever winning looks like. It can look like you're failing. Like this is the trick about being a Christian. Most of the time it looks like we're failing and then all of a sudden we we win. Most of the time it looks like a bloodbath and then all of a sudden most of Africa is saved. All of a sudden it looks like every missionary is getting kicked out of China and they're throwing people in jail left, right, and center and then all of a sudden there's a hundred million evangelical believers in there. That's the trick. You You need to be able to suffer to do this, but if you fight, you will win. If you fight your offense, you will win. If you fight this giant, you will kill him. Have courage and don't quit. We also need to fight the battle of sexual sin. Uh, We've been working on this for a while, and we still need to work on this. Um, I'm calling every man and woman here, because it's not just one or the other, to become 100% pure sexually with what you look at and what you think about. Jesus' standard is you can't even look at a woman in a bad, you can't even think about a woman in a bad way without being in danger. That's the biblical standard. Not even in the secret recesses of your brain can you think, I wonder what it would be. You're done. That's Jesus' standard. And I am calling us as a church to fight the good fight for purity, to be gracious, to want other people to win, to be full of forgiveness but to have no secret private life and to have no hidden file on our computer and have no hidden place on our phone and have no hidden thought life or a private practice or a place we go in the city on the weekends when people think that we're working, to have no secrets, but to actually be 100% by God's grace, growing in purity and having the victory. Because the reality is, is that hidden sexual sin is being Satan's suicide bomber. You're just walking around with a bunch of dynamite hidden underneath your clothes and at the right time Satan sets you off and we see it we see it all the time it comes in the news big guy down in the states who's just supposed to retire and then hidden sin comes into the light totally discredits his 40 years of ministry guy in Winnipeg something online something to do with some underage person in the team 
that, that church will take years to recover. The trust and the hurt and ministry momentum. We need, to, we need to know that's the reality. If we have hidden sexual sin, we are Satan's suicide bombers, but we don't have control of when it goes off. So I'm calling you, have courage. God loves you, and he wants you to be free, and he can set you 100% dancing in the streets free. He has done it before. He can do it again. But it takes courage. It takes courage to face maybe hurting people. It takes courage to face the fear of rejection. It takes courage to face how depraved your heart actually is and that you love this stuff and don't really love Jesus. But you want to love Jesus and he can do it. So I'm calling you to have courage. And be strengthened by the word of God and by fellowship and walking in the light and obeying everything God has to say. But it is an absolute giant that wants to keep us from being the church God wants us to be. And we have to do it together. It's us together. One of the lies that we believe is kind of like, I'm just me and I go to church and I, I do my own thing and it doesn't impact anybody um, even if you come to church regularly and you like don't say hi to everybody and then go home after wondering what Rob was talking about, you might think, I never did anything wrong, but you know what? There was something missing, which is a ministry of love coming out of you. All the people you didn't say hi to, all the people you didn't pray for, all the ways you didn't show mercy to somebody. They're, they're, we, we can actually contribute emptiness to a church. by not being strong and courageous in the Lord and saying, I'm here to serve you. This is about you, not me. Amen? And so this is, it just feels like a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip. I am here to call you. God wants to do so much through us as we look to him. And he's calling us. It's time to really be strong and courageous in me, not just avoiding the giants. There's a film title for a movie that would be boring. Avoiding the Giants. Once there was a football team, and they all quit. You mean I'm going to get hit? I grabbed the ball, they started chasing me, so I didn't stop running. And I went home, and I played Madden 2018, because even when I lose, it doesn't hurt, and I got this big bag of chips, and... uh, So I prayed it before, but I'll say it again. You you don't need to be anybody special in your own eyes. If you will have courage in the Lord and trust him, he can accomplish all he wants to through you. And maybe the greatness God wants to do looks quiet in the world, but who cares? Because it's about doing what's great in God's eyes. And sometimes doing what's great in God's eyes means like 40 years of taking care of old people in a nursing home, which is a glorious work. I, I don't want to do the trap. We're going to do great things. So we're going to have so many people showing up. I, I, it doesn't matter if they're not changed and they're not serving Jesus. Who cares how many people come? We, it needs to be greatness in God's sight. But greatness in God's sight starts with 
being courage, having courage in him and being loyal to him through being loyal to his word. And everything after that is his own. So let's just stand before the Lord. Maybe the team can come up. That if you want to join with me, you want to give yourself to the Lord, you can even start off by saying, God, I am the biggest coward that I know. That's how I can start my prayer for sure in this time. But maybe you just want to be the Lord's rock. Remember when David, David killed a giant? The Lord used a rock. And Jesus is our David. And I just want to be his rock. I just want to be his rock. He can spin me around, make me dizzy as he wants, as long as he throws me somewhere special. And I can, I can do a glancing blow off of someone's forehead. I've done it before. Amen? So I'm inviting people to stand. If you want God just to, you want to just give yourself to courage. I'm not asking anybody to pump yourself up, hype yourself up, stir yourself up. This is a time of humbling ourselves. We know that we can be so cowardly. We know we can be so bitter. We know we can be so um, just trying to hide the junk instead of getting free from the junk. We know we can be so easily tricked by Satan and so easily distracted by him. We know this about ourselves. So let's give ourselves to the Lord of mercy and grace and love who sent his son to die for our sins and says in his word, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously along with him give us all things? This is our God. And so God, wherever people are at, and I know not everyone can stand so they can sit in faith, but Lord, would you give us true courage through Jesus Christ? God, I pray you put into our hearts a profound anger at the the giants that have held us back, giants of addiction, giants of hidden sin, giants of fear, giants of rebellion against parents or rebellion against authority. Lord, giants of hurts from the past that want to intimidate and control us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to hate them and want to see them dead for your glory and so that we can love freely and walk freely and rejoice freely and praise freely and serve freely. God, I pray that you would get us into your word and your word into us in a new way. Not to be entertained or tickled, but to know the living God and to trust you with what you will do. God, where we stumble, would we bring an encouraging word to each other and that call to refix our eyes on Jesus be glorified in what you do. God, I, again, I, I am trusting you. You've done miracles already. I'm trusting you to complete your work. But whatever you do, your Lord, I'm yours.